0: Welcome to Taiwan Ren, where you'll hear stories of Taiwanese innovators, makers, and advocates. I'm your host, Cindy, and today we're meeting with Jeffrey Wu, the founder of Wemo Scooters, which provides electric scooter sharing in Taiwan. Jeffrey tells us, why it's important to have a sharing economy for the future of Taiwan, the risks and costs of a hardware-centered startup, and what it's like to start a business at 35. Let's get into it. Hi, Jeffrey, tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan.
1: I'm Jeffrey, I grew up in Taiwan. I was actually born in the States, but I already moved back to Taiwan when I was about one to two years old. I basically lived and grew up here until 18 years old. Then I went to the States, or I should say went back to the States, because I was born in the States and then stayed there for another 13, 14 years. I later realized that my true home is still Taiwan. So basically after spending my 20s in the States, I decided that I wanted to move back to Asia and then settle in Taiwan. So ever since I started working at McKinsey, did a lot of projects in Asia and Southeast Asia, and then started WeMo Scooter about five years ago here in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, tell us about WeMo Scooters and its mission.
1: The idea is actually pretty simple. Like when I was at McKinsey, a couple of my colleagues and I were just thinking about what we could do for Taiwan because we were all sort of at the stage in life where we wanted to settle at one place. We wanted to graduate from McKinsey lifestyle.
0: Yep. So I was thinking to
1: myself, you know, if I want to move back to Taiwan and settle, like literally settle and raise my kids here and everything, what is it that I care the most? It came to my realization that I wanted to make sure this place is safe, it's healthy, it's a place that will allow my kids to live happily here. Oh. And then I think about the lifestyle that we have. You know, we Obviously, Taiwan being a technology island, we enjoy a lot of latest, newest technologies. Our lives are advanced uh-huh. and developed. Our cities are, things are moving forward in the right directions and such. But then if you look at the environment itself, we live in a city uh-huh. where every single day if you walk in the streets, you see all these cars, all these motorcycles and they're, Exhausts is letting the walking experience or living experience a lot poorer than I would imagine because you know a lot of us go travel in Japan a lot. You would then apply to Japan's like living standards to be much better and Mm. attribute a lot of that to you breathing fresh air,
0: air quality, air
1: quality in in, Mm -hmm. in the middle of the streets, right? So that became something that a couple of us were talking about how can we try to solve this right and then so you know after a couple of brainstorming and here and that we came to the conclusion that a service like Remo Scooter which is electric vehicles shared on an everyday purposes right so that's something that could help dramatically lower the exhaust or pollutions in the city and hence that's sort of the beginning of how Wimble Scooter came about
0: Hmm. I think that's a noble goal. It's true because I think that, especially in Asia, when you're trying to be one of the Asian tiger countries, a lot of other parts do get sacrificed, like a natural environment.
1: I'm not really an environmentalist. (laughs) But but the whole Mm -hmm. point is, you know, if we're already living in cities, like obviously, like people talk about urbanization, talking about our cities getting more crowded. If we want much better city living standards, what can we do, right? And so I think that's sort of where it came about. Obviously, the whole current ways that we consume things and everything is not helping, right? We definitely should go from more of a linear economy to more of a circular economy mindset. Obviously, I hope we can also promote that.
0: Yeah. How does Wemo work exactly?
1: So WiBo Scooter is, in this day and age, obviously, it's a digital service, or it's a service that you use easily on your smartphone. So all the user need to do is to download our app and register to make sure that they have a driver's license, make sure they qualify to ride a motorcycle or operate a motorcycle. Then all they need to do is click a few buttons in <laughs> the app, and then uh-huh. they can rent and yeah. use the Weibo Scooter that is basically parked anywhere in this city. Obviously in legal parking
0: spaces.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So because the last thing we want to do is to disrupt the city and make it a hazard for the citizens also living in the city. So everything we do, we work with the government to Mm. allow this service to happen. Mm -hmm. So literally like since we started about four years ago, we now grew to a size of about 6,000 vehicles here in the greater Taipei area and we offer close to a million rights a month.
0: Oh.
1: And we have about, about half a million users in our in our system.
0: Oh. So you made it sound really easy, but <laughs> no. I'm sure it was difficult to build not, up, definitely right? Not <laughs> so what was for you the most difficult part of building up this business?
1: Well, I wouldn't say that the building of the business itself that there's any one certain time that is hard but this whole journey Mm. the continuous journey is still really tough but if you ask me to pinpoint a few certain moments I would say that definitely dealing with further capital investments is one of the more riskier things we've done in this whole company and those are probably the more difficult decisions for example we started with a fleet of about 200 vehicles honestly why 200 I cannot give you a really good <laughs> idea <laughs> but definitely once we started with 200 vehicles we realized it was not enough like literally because even in Taipei City alone there are more than 1 million registered motorcycles
0: mm. so, so
1: if you put 200 in right. 1 million it, it disappears and obviously we quickly realized that the vehicle count is not enough the vehicle density was not enough mm. then what can you do Right, then obviously you had to add more vehicles. So yes. at the early stages of this startup, then adding another 1,000 vehicle to this fleet, which is what we decided was a big deal. It was a lot of capital to deploy. So we weren't very sure whether we should do this or we should just terminate the whole project. Right, so- Oh my
0: gosh, that's tough.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, so again, at any given moment, I mean, Definitely, I think decisions dealing with investments are, are the most tough in this whole journey. But I mean, at least we're now still alive and four years later, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So I build apps in mm-hmm. my daytime. This is not like building an app at all <laughs> because you have actual inventory. And it's true, your product can't be usable until you reach a certain level of inventory for users. Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, exactly. It's part of why not a lot of people would try hardware Startups, right. but then that's something we felt that would actually give consumers real changes. Like yes. A lot of times, I mean, it's not—it's great to have an app to have digital, physical, or so-called online services, but then in the end, we live in the real world, and you know, travel is one of this mm-hmm. basic needs that you have, so you can go out and meet people, go out and have social activities so we wanted to do a physical service that that helps or that aids in your everyday lives when you're living in the city so yes it's tough but then you know that's something that we definitely are going are yeah. through
0: it's impactful yeah okay so a question then for convincing people to become your customers Scooters definitely produce a lot of pollution; can't deny that. But you also can't deny its convenience for its users. And I would say a lot of people who own scooters are probably more Mm cost-conscious. So, how do you convince these scooter owners to ditch their vehicles and use WeMo instead? Or are you looking for a whole new audience?
1: That's a great question. Actually, that's one of the more tougher questions I had to go through this Mm -hmm. these four years as well. But we definitely wanted to not create a new market, but to offer the existing users with a much better service experience. You can think of it this way. All the people that had motorcycle needs in the past, the only thing they could do is buy a vehicle. Uh-huh. right? So we wanted to make sure that there are some people that will not be using the motorcycle frequent enough, which doesn't make sense for them to make a purchase. Uh-huh. right? So for those people, what are their alternative options, right? So that's where we started off. We want to make sure that these people, the less frequent users, they still have an option to use a motorcycle and be able to travel around conveniently in the city. In the very, very beginning, when we designed this product, we made sure that the way that users have to, because we want to make sure that the learning curve yeah. to adopt the service at its minimal, right? So we made sure that the user interface or the procedure to start the vehicle is very simple. A lot of our customers tell us that if it takes more than 10 seconds to turn on the vehicle, then they would not
0: adopt <laughs> service. Wow.
1: Because it's very simple. Because if you mimic what they used to have to do, right, they walk downstairs outside of wherever they were, they know where their vehicle is parked, usually about 30 to 50 meters away. When they walk to their vehicle, they pull out their key and, and then they
0: just ignite yeah. and they mm-hmm.
1: go, right? So that whole process is extremely smooth and short, right? So we obviously had to replicate that kind of experience for the customers to use us. So in the very beginning, in the product development phase, it's all about Mimicking that kind of behavior. So that's why right now we most You really just need to press a couple of buttons in order to start the rental process. It's actually also within 10 seconds. Uh-huh. But beyond that, then obviously we're only matching up to the original waves, right? Yes. And electric vehicles in Taiwan is, after already so many years, it's not that big of a deal anymore because people are riding electric motorcycles frequently as well in Taiwan. So we obviously have to bring in new experiences or features that showcases us much better than only one, right? So for example, we now work with a lot of different parking garages Mm. and have designated parking areas for Mm. remote users only. Mm. So because one of the pain points for riding vehicles or even driving a car is to find a parking space. And with the data that we collect, we know where are the most inconvenient locations in this city. So all we need to do basically then strike a business deal to make sure that we're able to provide users parking spaces whenever they need it. So that's something that then basically people will now know wow, this is better than riding out of a vehicle. At the same time there are other usage cases mm-hmm. that is much more advantageous if you use a shared motorcycle. For example if you have so-called one-way needs. If you're going down south mm-hmm. and for a couple of days, usually what people would do is they park their cars in the garage for three days at the train station, and they pay for three days of parking fees. But if you use shared motorcycle, then you wouldn't have to pay for that. That's one example. Another example would be if you're going out drinking with your friends on Friday nights, Uh usually Uh people with motorcycles they ride their motorcycle to the restaurant and they leave it there until maybe the next day and then they will have to go back to the restaurant to pick it up because they can't drink and drive Uh but then if you ride a shared motorcycle you wouldn't have to worry about it so those usage scenarios become very popular and now more and more people learn about the convenience of having a shared motorcycle service as well
0: Yeah. Wow. I love that. You've sold me. (laughs) Yes, parking is a pain point. (laughs)
1: Exactly. So the whole point is to increase the utilization rates of these vehicles so that they're not continuously parked in the streets and clobbering our public areas. Well, one statistic I didn't share earlier is that an average vehicle in Taiwan, they're only used about 30 some minutes a day so literally Mm. more than 23 hours a day is just literally sitting in the streets of taipei or taiwan Mm. why is it being done that way it doesn't make any sense right i mean as a consultant it doesn't
0: make sense (laughs) (laughs) you know it's not optimized
1: yeah if you're able to improve the utilization rates then obviously the total vehicle count should drop right so that's some in our early days when we were still naive and thinking this startup is great and everything or this idea is extremely beneficial for the environment and the city. That's some of the ideas we had to convince us to start this project.
0: Mm. I think you sold me on Taiwan and Taiwan is famous for its scooters. Scooter sharing makes sense. Do you see Wiimote staying outside of Taiwan?
1: Definitely. In cities in Asia, particularly like in Places like Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh of Vietnam, or like Uh Bangkok of Thailand and such. Like there's an overabundance of motorcycles as well. We definitely hope that through learning more about motorcycle sharing, learning more about the ways people travel in the city, we hope to bring this service elsewhere.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Just now I'm thinking back to, you could just as a tourist rent scooters as well Mm -hmm. in any of those countries.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly, because I think people like focus too much on the word sharing. But in the end, what we're doing is a digital transformation of very traditional rental businesses. We're allowing people to more easily rent, Mm -hmm. which basically means they could help increase utilization rates of these products and services that we have. So it's a no-brainer for us that we want to go to other places in the world where there's an overabundance of motorcycles and motorcycles that produce too much pollution. And I truly believe that we could be able to help those places as well. If you say that there's already too many motorcycles in Taiwan, which there is 14 million of them, there's about 200 to 300 million in Southeast Asia. So, so we definitely believe in. there's a huge opportunity for us to go elsewhere as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So you did allude to data sharing earlier, you were talking about collecting data for parking. I know that your scooters also collect road, traffic, air quality data, and you share that back with the government. Mm-hmm. So why is that feature important to you?
1: We're now in the digital economy age already, and obviously a lot of people say that data is the new gold or the new oil. For us, we're at an advantage of having fleets of motorcycles roaming in the streets of Taipei every single day. And if they're just sitting there waiting for users to be used, and obviously while the utilization rate increases in such, there's are still other uses that could potentially be done, right? Uh-huh. So that's why we thought collecting data is also something that could become part of our core business. And so, like you mentioned, we're now capable of collecting with our multiple sensors in the vehicle. Road conditions, PM 2.5 levels, we can even detect if there's a flood. We don't have a dash cams yet, but if we do, uh-huh. we should be also be able to know what's going on in the streets as well, right, so yeah. we, potentially we could help finding lost child, we could help, you know, well, mm-hmm. the deal with, if the traffic accidents happen, then we know who's obligated yeah. and such, right, so there's a lot of use cases for data. But right now, what's more important for us is to then collect and analyze first, but in the longer run, we do hope that this data is able to help. Our cities evolved to be smarter than in the past, right? I mean, again, right, if we have all these data that we could do and our company's vision is already to help your well-being in living in the city, then why can't we use this data for other purposes as well? So that's pretty much why we decided that we wanted to use the vehicles to collect all these data and to work with the government to deploy more decision-making and more services that's beneficial.
0: I love private-public partnerships.
1: <laughs>
0: it's just, for me, it's yeah. a perfect marriage. It's yeah. education. You yeah. Survive, <laughs> I'm like, right? I'm so happy. Yeah, because one of the things I'm super obsessed with randomly is garbage collection. Mm-hmm. And I love that the, so the city of Boston, they use Waze, you know, the Maps app. And so they partner with Waze and they have smart garbage cans to optimize routes for collecting garbage. Oh. <laughs> so it just makes me think of that story. And yeah, it's love the novelty. Okay, so besides open data, are there any other partnerships you've thought of that might fit well with Wemo?
1: Well, actually, you mentioned ways. That's actually something that <laughs> we're also hoping that we could do more in the future is to connect users and map related services mm-hmm. together. And because, I mean, when you say map-related services, it's more of a location-based, right? So if my users are traveling between work and their house every single day from point A to point B extremely frequently, if they have this habit, then why can't I also let them know what is happening around in their environment? Because during this 15-minute motorcycle ride, they probably usually don't pay a lot of attention to what's going on Mm. in this area. But if I'm able to provide them with additional services or additional, I guess, advertisements, perhaps they will be more willing to try out new restaurants, try out new robot tea
0: places,
1: (laughs) or go to a shopping area that they probably haven't been to before. And so that is something that we're also exploring and hoping to work on to Provide services that the person would care about. The person would then also feel like we will are not only their transportation partner, Rob, but part of their life, part of their um, helping to improve their lifestyle.
0: Yeah, ultimately a partner of convenience.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, let's move to you for a little bit. <laughs> okay, good.
1: <laughs> not very good with company. Um showcase what no you're amazing
0: <laughs> okay but we are curious about you because it's about taiwan mm-hmm. so you did start a company at 35 why did you do it
1: yes a lot of people in taiwan when they start their companies they're much much younger <laughs> And I'm one that's of the,
0: okay i'm one of the older
1: <laughs> entrepreneurs okay. in taiwan i think it relates back to a lot of what was yes. happening with my life when i was at 35 so going back to the whole McKinsey story we definitely thought the lifestyle is not sustainable at age 35 unfortunately (laughs) or else I didn't love that job because I felt like I was adding value Uh or we were creating value for our clients and then obviously the problems we're solving are super challenging and super interesting but the lifestyle is definitely not something I could keep sustaining at the same time I was hoping to settle down, hoping to get married to my wife and have a family and such, right? So I think that is one of the biggest decision points where I felt like I needed to settle at one place and settle in Taiwan.
0: Do you feel like you were discriminating against?
1: So I know I wanted to settle back in Taiwan, but then the problem would be career switching, right? So the more of the unfortunate part about Taiwan is as an expat that was working literally with global pay, I couldn't find any Local jobs that's suitable for a person like myself. Uh-huh. I think the way that in Taiwan people build trust is through trusting career. I should say is through your age, and obviously to be a manager, you probably need to be at least forty-five years <laughs> or above. So for someone who's done it at uh-huh. McKinsey, and even though I was thirty-five and a lot older than most McKinsey engagement managers people were, were like, you're too young to be a manager. And so... But. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but unfortunately, yeah, that's, wow. that's more of the unfortunate part. So, yeah. you know, the headhunters would offer me positions that's mm-hmm. less ideal. and.
0: Got it, got it.
1: So that's sort of the more negative aspect of my decision making. But then coming back to creating value, creating mm-hmm. an environment that I hope my children would be able to live happily in. You know, that's still something that I wanted to do. And so it's lucky that those companies didn't
0: yep. <laughs>
1: didn't that my I guess expats like myself, but then led me to move to the entrepreneur route and start this company. Mm-hmm. I think for entrepreneurs it's, it's always you get your foot in the door and then the rest is history. <laughs> nobody expected to start a company right off the bat, right so mm-hmm. You can also call us fools obviously that's how VCs call us right so <laughs> we're, we're always friends and families and fools in the very beginning that's supporting these idea moving forward
0: yeah you're a fool until you make it you well, make it is and, what it
1: is yes yeah, so we yeah. still have a long way to go
0: mm-hmm. so for other people who want to start a business but maybe they're letting their age stop them whether they're too young or too old do you have any advice for them <laughs>
1: I can't say I have very good advice I think the most important thing is you have to be responsible for your life because we all only live once. Yeah. Right? I did not pay a lot of attention to my family. So the most important thing is you have to be responsible for your life and the risk that you're taking to be an entrepreneur is extremely high. Right? The success rate of a startup company in five years is only 1% to survive another five years, I think it's also still about one to two percent, right? So,
0: oh God. so out of, of 10,000
1: companies you yeah. know, in 10 years, you know, only 1% remains or a couple company remain, right? So that is something that you really need to think through before you decide to start a company. So it doesn't really matter at what age, it's just that the older you get, obviously the more risk averse you should be and if you're not then do it go ahead (laughs) I mean it's a wonderful experience definitely everyone that we know we're extremely proud of what we're doing and we're making an impact for this city and the cities that we operate in of course we would be happier if we're making money but we're almost there so um, definitely that's that's, the rewards are definitely there but be very very careful about your reasons about who you will be impacting your family your friends and such right so
0: that's great advice yeah since I've gotten to Taiwan a lot of people have been telling me about the work-life balance here okay that it is poor (laughs) 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 and having worked at a consulting company like McKinsey and then now at this startup I'm wondering what your stance is on work-life balance
1: oh god (laughs) (laughs) Um, I personally don't believe in work-life balance. doesn't mean that I overwork my employees or colleagues here, right? I mean, they definitely just reasonable amount of time, right? But I think it's more about how do you make sure that you have good quality, even if you are working overtime sometimes, okay. right? So, I think some people use the term work life integration for that. And Mm -hmm. so, again, I would say it's more of a, if you are passionate about what you're doing, that hopefully reduces the pain of working long hours a little bit. Full stop. (laughs) I think, I mean, of course, I believe a lot of people would be like, that's just an excuse. I get that. (laughs) But then finding your true passion or at least getting, whether it's learning or, or whatever if you're getting something out of it then at least it's worthwhile I think that's something you have to figure out if you do believe in you need a lot more family time uh-huh. and then you probably should pick careers that's or at an industry that's much less intensive I mean there's a lot of those kind of jobs as well some are high pay as well I mean I wouldn't associate high pay with long working hours uh-huh. in Taiwan's I don't want to say people are working dumb hours, but sometimes they truly are, right? For example, they care a lot about FaceTime here, right? Yes, if your boss, working hard. If your boss is still here, then you need to be there. But sometimes they're not even working, right? Mm-hmm. So it's obviously changed a lot over the years. The younger generations don't believe in that. But then if you found yourself still in that kind of environment, obviously, you know, get out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. How has starting Wemo helped you reconnect with Taiwan or evolve your relationship with Taiwan?
1: I didn't ride a motorcycle before. I mean, like I said, really?
0: But yeah. <laughs> you started the business. Well, everybody
1: knows that the Wemo founder don't know how to ride a motorcycle before you founded the business. But that's also because I left Taiwan when I was eighteen. Right. So I never went to college here. Went through the whole phase of there's a saying called "touyangshi." I don't know if you heard of that. So basically, you go to. That's
0: how you meet girls, right? That's how you meet Yes, girls. I yes. did know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you know, you, obviously, if you go out with a bunch of guys and girls, then the girls have to pick out the key to ride behind one of the guys, right? Yeah. So that's the whole touyangshi. So I never been through that. So there's just no way I can I learn how to ride a motorcycle, right? But I think my point was <laughs> mainly now I ride the motorcycle every single day. I actually see part of the beauty of it as well. The more unfortunate part of a motorcycle is the transportation of choice because people cannot afford, afford a car. And then so mid-level families in Taiwan do have to rely on a motorcycle for most of their transportation needs. But at the same time, riding a motorcycle, especially the electric vehicle in the streets of Taiwan. If you have time for it, obviously, then you get to see the beauty of this world a lot more. When you're sitting in a car, you uh-huh. can't really see the environment at all. But then sometimes I on the weekends I ride my motorcycle. I just go to different places in town and discover new coffee shops, you know, or go buy like midnight snacks, you know, chat with the people in the streets. You know that's a very different lifestyle than I've ever had before, although I I think most people don't appreciate the beauty of the city you live in, but I think riding a motorcycle allowed me to at least get in a little bit more touch.
0: Mm -hmm. That's such a good perspective. I never really thought about, it's true, when you're on a motorcycle, you're still kind of outside, so you are more in touch with the environment. And just more broadly, since you started this company in Taiwan, how would you describe the startup scene in Taiwan right now? And how do you hope it will evolve?
1: It definitely has improved a lot since 10, 20 years ago. So I think we're definitely more of the fortunate ones to start a company in this decade than the last. And when the internet bubble in the early 2000s, there were no help from anywhere. But now like you have accelerators, incubators, government have a ton of programs of connecting local entrepreneurs with foreign entities, foreign countries and such. So the ecosystem has evolved a lot. And obviously Taiwan government is also acknowledging that investing in startups, investing in the digital new age is a must. And so a lot of government resources are placed in this area as well. And then they're also a lot more welcoming to foreigners. So if you're a foreigner that wants to start a company in Taiwan, Mm -hmm. you get special visas that basically, they call them the gold card, that allows you to be able to reside here much more easily.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm not sure
1: about the tax benefits or not, but it's a lot easier to make it happen. Mm -hmm. At the same time, especially for hardware startups, literally. On this island we will be able to be in touch with all the suppliers you need to create whatever product that you have right and then even for software startups you know the talent here are much much educated or advanced than a lot of the other the Asian countries at a much cheaper rate as <laughs> an added benefit okay. so definitely Taiwan I think it has one of the more vibrant startup communities and definitely uh-huh. if you choose to you start a company in In Asia, I mean, Taiwan should definitely be on your map.
0: The next time you're in Taipei or Kaohsiung, download the WeMo app and try an electric scooter ride. If you enjoyed this episode, please help rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Taiwan, Taiwan加油.